That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Here we are, another episode of Same Old Song. It's the Sunday after Valentine's Day, so everybody's coming to church, happy or not happy, uh, yeah. depending on how that went. And, uh, uh, this is also the sixth Sunday after the Epiphany. Mm-hmm. Jake, how uh, are you? I'm uh, I'm doing great. Uh, had a great Valentine's Day. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh, made plans too late. Couldn't get into a restaurant, and I'm still married. Yeah, so uh, doing great. Every day married <laughs> to Melina is a good day. So that's right. Uh, Even when you're just giving her Russell Stover <laughs> chocolate from the CVS. That's right. that's right. Nothing says I love you like anything from the CVS. So I uh, wrapped it in cellophane <laughs> just for you. Don't you like cloth roses? Doesn't uh, doesn't your wife like cloth roses and yeah, little white teddy bears? When you put the little like the little, it's like basically from a hot glue gun that's supposed yeah, to look right. like water droplets. Yeah, that's right. That's classy. classy. So that's how that's how I roll, Jake. Also, like the tubes of. Uh, of Hershey's Kisses. Mm. Uh, you know what I find is a real bargain at CVS? The jewelry. Oh. <laughs> that, I mean, it's a win-win. You I mean, get to you know, save money. Yeah. And infection, the love of your life. Infections like, wow. be damned, you know what I mean? I yeah. mean, you know, it's nothing a little alcohol and Bactine can't clear up. But anyway, <laughs> um, so here we are. But uh, on to the serious business. And uh, the serious yeah. business is... Um, oh, wait, wait, Jake, are, can I say yeah, one thing? Please. I discovered if you want to have a good laugh, listeners, the funniest way to listen to every podcast is to put it on like half speed. You know you can do this. And uh, Jake and I will sound completely trashed if you do that so if you ever wanted to hear drunk preachers talk about scripture Mm. just put us on half speed lots of laughs i was hoping you were gonna say the the houston rap sound you know um so but um you know it's like that was like the distinctive of Houston rap sound was like a little slow, but anyway, I, I yeah yeah. Were you like you drink a lot of cough syrup or something? You kind of slow. No it no down. no no. Just I mean, it was the spin. Now people do that to make sense of the whole thing, but um, never mind. Um, Let's move on. Yeah. Let's stick to what we know, which is the Bible. Yeah. Or we at least claim to. <laughs> so this Sunday, we have Deuteronomy 30. Matthew 5 uh, is the gospel reading. 
And the epistle is 1 Corinthians 3. Season Epiphany, all about revealing who Jesus is, that he is for everybody. <clears throat> We're also beginning to get a little bit closer to Lent. So this is, uh, next Sunday is going to be Transfiguration, Jesus up on the mountain, last Sunday before Lent. And uh, so there's kind of this, uh, you're beginning to get a little bit of this, mm-hmm. uh, you know, passages again, as we've talked about, that sound very much like law. Um and they are law, uh, but we're going to try to help you point those passages uh, to the gospel. I will say that one of the lectionary readings for this Sunday that's allowed is Sirach 15, 15 through 20. Don't do it. Not the word of God. Mm-hmm. Our Protestantism is showing here, people. Sorry, Anglo- I mean, Catholic but, but the text sucks. It's the worst. It runs totally contrary to the Bible. Um, the overarching message of the scriptures. But how do you really feel about it, Jake? I just, it is awful. It is awful. (laughs) Don't beat around the bush. If you choose, you can keep the commandments and to act faithfully is a matter of your own choice. Gosh, sounds like an FCA, like, um, you know, youth minister. But anyway. um, Yeah, no offense to FCA. (laughs) Do good work. It's fine. Uh, But he's placed before you fire and water. Stretch out your hand for whichever you choose. You want to get burned, or you want to have uh, yeah. the nice cooling water? Yeah. And I, if if people could make good choices, as we are often told to do, mm. uh, you and I would be out of business. Yeah, because the way I see it, most of us uh, ministers are here uh, forgiving people. Yeah, uh, that because people don't choose the right thing. Yeah, and I wouldn't be doing this job at all. I mean, I would have chose something else. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, so the unfree will, the bound will. You heard it here, people. So. We're going to start with Deuteronomy 30, which also sounds a little bit like that Sirach yeah. reading. It's See? Moses. I've yeah, said Moses. before you today, life and prosperity. you got two choices, two doors, people. Door number one, life. Door number two, death. death. Which one do you want? It's and like that he, uh, Eddie Izzard bit, like tea and cake yeah, or death. This yeah. is the Anglican <laughs> tradition. So, uh, and so which would you choose? And it's this obvious choice. Yeah. Uh, this is Moses talking to the people. This is his uh, last speech. This yeah, is he's given speech. them the law. They know the rules. Josh. God has loved them. God has saved them from Egypt. He mm. got them through the desert. Now, here's your new house. It's like, we're, it's closing date. We're signing mm. the papers, getting the mortgage, closing the whole thing. Title is clear. Go into the Canaan. It's, I, I, here it is. And, uh, and so you're saying, all you got to do is follow these rules. Yeah. So which one do you want? Life or death? Choose to, you want prosperity or adversity? And it seems like an easy choice. Now, the thing that he says is, don't be idolatrous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what's interesting is that most of the people in your congregation do not have like a little shrine to Zeus in their house. They have no altar to Molech or to Dagon or to any of these ancient Near Eastern deities. There's no Osiris uh, quotes on the wall, uh, Egyptian gods. Yet in, in those days, idolatry was a really big deal. The idea that there was one god and that you couldn't see that God. It was an invisible God. It didn't look like a bull. It didn't look like a ram. It didn't look like a dragon. It didn't look like a whatever. It was this invisible God uh, who was God over all, and that uh, you couldn't like bring offerings to a statue or anything like that. that. It was weird that Jewish people had this idea about one God. And everybody else, all the cool kids in the ancient Near East, had these great temples with these really cool statues and a system that said if you bring sacrifices to these sort of crazy, capricious, arbitrary deities, 
they will give you what you want. And if you want a good harvest, you do this. If you want a good wife, you do this. And if you want to have kids, you take this sacrifice. That was idolatry. And uh, I will say that that is still, even though none, nobody in your congregation has an altar to Dagon, idolatry is still the default position of the human heart mm -hmm. because it puts the human being in control. Mm -hmm. We all, we don't have little statues of deities, but we do all the time think if we make the right moves and follow the right path and follow the formula, we will get life to work out the way we want. Leaves us in the driver's seat, leaves us in control. And that is the most seductive uh, belief for human beings. And God is saying, no, there's another way and it's following and trusting mm -hmm. in me and not yourself, which is why he has to warn them, don't do it. Now, does it work? Mm, no, as a matter Heck of fact, no. as a matter of fact, you, um, you, um, when you move past Deuteronomy here, you begin and into Joshua, Judges, uh, you know, First and Second Samuel, all of these books. Um, you begin to see actually how gracious and patient uh, God is with His people, uh, because um, and basically uh, from this moment they do not walk in His ways. They do not observe His commands or His decrees or His ordinances. They don't do any of it. Um, uh, their hearts immediately turn away and go after other gods. And, um, yep. and you know, and uh, so um, choose life. The point is, is that we, um, we can't. Uh, we intrinsically uh, choose, we, we intrinsically choose death because we choose ourselves first. Um, and yep. this is what we mean by the bound will. I think uh, a lot of people talk when, you know, they hear us like kind of uh, rub up against free will, which is, a, which is an Anglican doctrine. Um, uh, if you, um, which is an Anglican doctrine. The concept is not like, you know, it's not this idea of the bound will doesn't mean that we're robots. Uh, what the bound will means is that in every um, opportunity, in instinctively, we will choose ourselves over and above God. And it's uh, very interesting that, um, you know, so this is the point is that uh, at the end of the passage, it says, for, mean, for that means life to you and the length of days, so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors. And notice Moses says, swore to give to your ancestors, not swore to give to me, because Moses can't even get them into the promised land. This, this scene takes place right on the hills outside in the land of Moab, right where you can see it. And Moses at this point, just Jordan. yeah, which he dies uneventfully. After this point, you don't hear about Moses really again until the Transfiguration, where he um and he appears with Jesus on the top of the mountain. But he says he which appeals next Sunday. He appeals to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. You know what I mean? The God of your ancestors. These three men who lived by faith and that was credited to them as righteous. These three people whom God actually chose and uh, whom God chooses now, um, whom God chooses, uh, and Jesus now chooses you. That's the point. God chooses you. It's interesting. I was going to back up. I know what I was going to say. So Moses dies, and the next scene in Deuteronomy here is Joshua is appointed to lead the people into the promised land. And uh, this becomes, as Jesus says, all the law and the prophets point unto me. Um, Moses can't get them into it, and Joshua leads them into this temporary promised land. But uh, because Jesus has fulfilled the law and walked perfectly in all of these ways, he now, in his death and resurrection, chooses you, and by his death and resurrection, leads us all into the ultimate promised land, which is life everlasting. Yeah, and I so 
uh, I think that's right on. Uh, I would say if I'm preaching this passage, I'm saying two things. I'm saying the human heart default setting is to be idolatrous. And even if we don't worship other gods uh, in like little statues now, we worship lots of other gods yeah. that of other names. Uh, and and I will say that the second thing is to get us to not be like that, lectures don't work, yeah. uh, as you've pointed out. And because God is going to put it in front of people, it's so obvious, life or death, and they're just going to be like, death! Every I love single, death, gobble, gobble, gobble. De- more death, yeah, I just want that. I mean, this this passage points you to a very low anthropology. I remember hearing a story about a guy that would show up at the ER every month because he had some disorder in his esophagus. He was not able to really swallow steak, but like once a month he would go to Outback <laughs> and he would order the steak and he would end up at the ER like every Friday night. And this is the human condition. Yeah. Like he knows what's good. He knows what's right. And he just can't help himself, which is which is everybody. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this passage, by the way, preachers don't read this passage and think that this means that you should preach the same way to your people. The entire story of the Hebrew scriptures testifies to the fact that this kind of preaching doesn't work. It is true. Mm-hmm. It is good. Yeah. It is right. The law, if you can follow it, would be life and health and prosperity and all that sort of stuff. But there's this problem with human beings, which is that we tend to not move in that way. Mm-hmm. And so, which is why Jesus ends up coming. And and so, yeah, um, this is not a model of how to preach. This is true, but it does... Or, I mean, it's a model of how to preach. Just know that it won't work. (laughs) Whatever things you tell your people to do, they'll be like, that sounds nice, Pastor. And then they'll do the opposite. That's right. And and they'll feel guilty and they'll feel condemned as they should um, because uh, the law law produces death in our lives, (laughs) not life. To quote somebody like, oh, I don't know, St. Paul. Yeah. So, but then you you see, I mean, you see what's happened with um, when people think they have choice and its pastoral implications and ramifications in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, our epistle reading. And uh, you have Paul here and he's talking to everybody, brothers and sisters. He could have said sisters and brothers. But uh, anyway, he says, I can't even speak to you as spiritual people but rather as people of the flesh. You know, you people are so infatuated with your choices. You people are so infatuated with your best life right now uh, that uh, I, and I even fed you with milk, not solid food. You're not ready for it. And, uh, you know, and these people always want deeper teaching. You know, they want, they want to know how to hone their choices, hone their bad choices. And this is what St. Paul is kind of getting at. And we want to hone our choices because we want to find our identity ultimately in those choices as opposed to the God who uh, chooses us. Yeah. Now, you and I are good antinomians, right? We just preach the gospel. We preach grace all the time. We don't care about... that's the, that, This is what you and I are charged with sometimes or criticized for. And they say that, you know, we're just preaching milk uh, and we need to get people to, to meet, um, to, uh, which is what they're, they're drawing on this passage. St. Paul says, I, you know, I can only give you the milk. I can't give you solid food because you're not ready. But... Um, to understand the gospel of grace as being the milk and then the real Christian teaching, the serious Christian teaching, the meat is like more law is what people are often saying. Like start giving me stuff to do, start telling me how to live. Uh, that's the meat is actually wrong. The reason they have, uh, the reason he calls them infants in Christ and the reason they are not ready for um, solid food is because they actually still don't even understand the gospel. Uh, they, by following 
as they say, they fo I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, all that sort of stuff, means they're still in a law-based way of thinking because they're trying to use some external factor, who they follow, their own rightness, their own understanding, their own intellectual ability. Uh, uh, they're using those things to give them some sort of worth or value or identity, which is what the law does. Mm -hmm. It's following mm -hmm. some sort of formula to achieve value. And he says, no. So to move on to meat, to move on to solid food, really means to go more and more into the gospel of God's grace mm -hmm. in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So uh, this passage is, I think, often wrongly uh, used as a bludgeon on people who are kind of gospel and grace preachers. Uh, and what he's trying to do is to bring them back to Christ. He says all the stuff that you think matters. In a sense, it's like Deuteronomy. It's like idolatry. Mm -hmm. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. That's the idolatrous human heart showing itself again, trying to find some external thing to give it, give yourself mm. identity. He says, all that stuff doesn't matter. Look, I, yeah, I, I planted a seed, Apollos watered the seed, but we didn't really do anything. I mean, does a, if you're a farmer, this is the analogy he's using, does the farmer make the wheat grow? No. He, yeah, he throws some water on it, he puts it in the ground, but it's God who gives the growth. And so he's trying to push people, again, away from these human systems of value and identity and what what makes you valuable and to say you have value because of what God has given you and he's the one that does it. Mm. That's right. That's good. Well, and, um, you know, and I went to the same seminary as you did, so I learned some good yeah, stuff. Um, and then you come to Matthew chapter 5, and this uh, is really, this is a crushing passage because if you thought the law was simply about your actions, well, uh, Jesus... Uh, says uh, you got another thing coming. Um, mm. uh, who was that? Was that a that was that Twisted Sister? No, that's um, Judas Priest. But anyway, you got another thing coming. Johnny Mathis. Yeah. If you think that uh, if you think that what you do is all that that it is to the law, then you are sorely mistaken. Because Jesus is going to take the law and to quote our mentor Paul Zoll, he's going to elevate it to its highest pitch. That's right. Uh, and a lot of people think, um, you know, to be a Christian is to be a good person. Mm. And uh, they're out there trying to be good people. And if you think that somebody can be a good person, that means you don't understand the actual law. Mm -hmm. Jesus did not say be good. He said be perfect. Not just be perfect, but perfect as God is perfect. Uh, that comes uh, later at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. But it, he's working his way up to it in this passage. So with everything he says, you have heard it said. He's quoting Moses, who we read about in Deuteronomy, uh, who uh, delivered the Ten Commandments. He's saying, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I say to you, if you get pissed off in traffic and you give somebody the finger for cutting you off or for driving too slow or for tailgating you or whatever, you are going straight to hell. Mm -hmm. Like this, Jesus is saying, you thought the law was this thing, but let me tell you how much deeper it is. Yeah. It's, it's it's that murderous impulse in the human heart. It's that rage that you feel because you feel like you're entitled and better than someone else. Um, you, and then he goes on, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. And Jesus says, actually, I say to you, if you even think about it, mm -hmm. uh, you've already done it. Christopher Hitchens, the late atheist, hated this passage, yeah. hated this kind of teaching because he said, These, how can you hold me responsible for thought crimes? I haven't even done anything yet. Um, but this is Jesus diagnosing the human condition because all the evil stuff that human beings do, it all comes from somewhere and it comes, it's baked into the cake and it's hardwired into the system. So 
This is Jesus, as you said, raising the law to the highest pitch and then showing us that we can't keep it. Well, and uh, this is, you know, St. Augustine's great quote follows along this, that God demands from us what we cannot do so that we might know what to seek from him. You know, Mm -hmm. the point is, is that Jesus is doing this um, not so that you, um, you know, just will feel really bad about yourself. And this is just impossible but uh, like that you would recognize God as he's revealed himself to you in Jesus as your savior. You know, yep. um, that's, uh, that's what this is about. Um, I lift up my eyes up to the mountain from where does my help come from? Where does my salvation come from? Because damn, it really is that bad, you know? And uh, so this is to not just be like mean, um, but, but it's to say you need a savior. Uh, and that's what yeah. God has come to do. And there were times in my life where I would read this part, you know, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. If, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. And I've heard uh, preachers teach this, and I thought this at one time, that this meant just if there's anything in my life that's causing sin, I need to remove it. I need to get the Pringles out of uh, my house. I need to burn <laughs> yeah. all my... I, Pringles, I don't know how many friends Pringles I had, like, burn problem. their records. Yeah. yeah, Pringles are my main problem. Uh, if, <laughs> or, or like, you know, burn your CDs or throw away their whatever it is that you think is like yeah. wrong in your life. And you can do all those things, but the, here's the thing. You'll still be a sinner. Yeah. You'll just find other ways to do it. That's right. And so this passage is not giving you a formula to remove sin from your life. As many people think it is. Jesus is here saying he's trying to show the logical impossibility of that. So let's say your eye causes you to sin. You pluck it out. Okay. Now your left eye causes you to sin. You pluck that one out. Your hand causes you to sin. You cut that one off. Then and then your left hand, you cut the left hand off and you're beginning to look more and more like the Black Knight in Monty mm. Python. And so soon enough, you'll be standing there with no hands, no feet, no eyes. And uh, I mean, how far do you want to take it? And then you're like, well, I'm still thinking sinful thoughts. I'm still feeling proud or I'm still feeling self-pity or uh, whatever it is. Um, Jesus is trying to illustrate the futility of this kind of approach. Uh, he's trying to get us to a place where we say, okay, well, what do I do then? Mm. And that's where you're ready to receive yeah. the gospel, uh, where Jesus is ready to, to give that to you. I love, um, there's a great short story by Leo Tolstoy, Father Sergius. And, yes, um, amazing. It's, uh, it's about a guy who basically is climbing the religious ladder. And, a Russian uh, monk. Uh, he is, and he is crushing it, crushing it. And uh, so he, like, finally qualifies to be cloistered and be by himself. Um, like a hermit. And, yeah, exactly. Thank you for uh, defining it all. And, um, and then keep I'm going. I'm here to clean up your messes, That's Jake. right. So anyway, but he's there in the monastery all alone, and these, like, young ladies decide to kind of, like, play a prank on him. And so um, uh, it's cold outside, and the one gal, she goes up with just basically a slip-on and knocks on the door, and she's like, Father Sergius, Father Sergius let me in, you know? And he's like, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. But anyway... Um, and you know he had a serious beard because he's rushing Yeah, on but he anyway, he's like, listen, she's like, please, it's so cold, it's so cold. And like Tolstoy describes that he looks through the peephole and he sees like her body and he's just like, geez. And so he goes out to the back of the woodshed and he like cuts his finger off with an ax and then goes back out to greet her and his hands dripping with blood. And it says that she was in such shock that the next day she checks herself into the nunnery. But nonetheless, spoiler alert, um, he winds up and he has a massive, massive indiscretion 
um, ultimately with the mayor's daughter. Well, and, and yeah. So, but you know, let me just, I, I don't want to, I know it's, thing it's is, just a 30 minute show. I don't want to go through the whole book, but anyway, go ahead. No, but One thing that's really amazing. <laughs> no, I'm not cutting you off. I want to add something. Yeah, yeah, I want to yeah, make it longer. So because of this amazing display of righteousness, when he cuts off his finger to like yeah. re- reject this advance from this, you know, seductress, yeah. you know, he, he, li- he puts into practice this passage, Matthew five. And so he wins. He's like super righteous. His holiness increases more yeah. and more people come to him. Yeah, he's doing so miracles. He's, at, he's doing yeah, miracles. He's like at the top. And then he has this major. Indiscretion. Yeah, that's right. And uh, literally with the, ma- the, the mayor's daughter and, um, and, uh, and everybody wants to get him now. And uh, he takes off and he goes back to his, um, like little hometown uh, where nobody like would ever know him. And he's basically the story ends and he's in this field and he just before his sister, who he thought was like just such a peasant before. And he literally breaks down and starts to weep. And uh, Tolstoy essentially um, uh, ends the story with, and this was the first righteous pious act that Sergius ever committed. And, uh, you know, and it's like he finally before like the law and all of that just weeps. And uh, really, Mm. that's the point what Jesus is doing here is as the new Moses, um, he is bringing you to a place where you'll look at yourself and you'll just weep and uh, you just weep. And uh, and then that's when you can see Jesus no longer as your life coach, but as your savior who comes along and is the friend of sinners and uh, loves sinners and uh, turns sinners into righteous, his righteousness and uh, his ch- his brothers and sisters. and uh, But he can only do that with sinners. He's not going to do that with the basically good. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You don't trust in yourself, but in God. And I do want to say one thing, just as a pastoral note, this passage has some teaching on divorce, uh, which mm-hmm. everybody who is preaching this passage is preaching to divorced people. Uh, there are many, many in your congregation. So just a pastoral note here. Uh, this will trigger shame and guilt among some people in your congregation. I don't know that you want to devote a lot of time to it when you preach it, but if somebody asks you later, or if you want to talk about it in your sermon, Again, it's got to be in context where Jesus is trying to raise the law to his highest pitch in every single area of life. And getting divorced, Moses permitted it. As he says here, you could write your wife a certificate of divorce. Men could divorce women. Didn't work the other mm-hmm. way around. And so he's saying that there's these men that think they can just like, you know, reject their wife because she burned the toast, which was what the rule said, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. Um, just write her a certificate of divorce and kick her out. But what? And so Jesus is really, he's talking to men who did not value and respect women for sort of selfish, petty reasons. And so this is a passage that's in a different context, a different time, a different history. And it's about um, people who don't, who, who they think they're righteous because they're fulfilling the letter of the law, but they're not getting to the deeper matters of the human heart. This is Jesus trying to speak to those men to say, hey, what's going on in your heart? Let's look at what you're actually doing. Um, and so it's, that's just an important note, yeah. I think, pastoral, you know what's going on. Uh, yeah, sure. And I think there is something pastoral to say here in this passage about divorce. And, um, and, but it has to be taken within, within the context of the passage. Uh, what Jesus is doing here is bringing you before the law um, at its highest pitch, as we've said. And uh, he does this in order that he might uh, really kill you. And, uh, and then bring you back to life. Not better, but brand new. 
And uh, the truth is, is that, yeah, you'll have, you have, some of you probably listening have been divorced. And, uh, you know, and in my entire ministry, I have yet, well, twice I have, and and I didn't marry them, but I have yet to, uh, I, I've, twice have I met people who were like, didn't, they've been in divorce and they didn't seem to give a crap. And they didn't actually seem to give a crap about this next marriage either. But most people that I've come into contact with who've been in a divorce, uh, there has been a real death in that process. Um, There's been a lot, if there's especially been a lot of reflection, uh, you know that there's been a death. And uh, the good news of the gospel is that um, divorce is death. It is death. Uh, But we serve a God who raises people to new life. And uh, the sins are forgiven. And remember that nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So, that's um, right. And uh, that is, that's the good news of the gospel in this passage, is that you're right. Yeah. There is a historic context. But to everyone who's gone, that the law still applies to you. But know that um, your divorce has, if, if you're listening to this show, I know that the divorce has probably killed you as well. And, uh, and uh, trust that Jesus has risen you to new life. And uh, yeah. he, he, uh, he uh, raises the dead to new life for you to have a new life. And yep. so there's good news there. And I think, I think uh, Jesus here is also acknowledging the, exactly what you said, the pain that comes in divorce. Mm-hmm. It seems like there were people that were like, ah, I could just divorce. I just get a certificate. No literally, literally, that was, what, there was a school of thought that like yeah. all I had to say was I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. And that was it. Um, yeah. Like if you burn the toast, that wasn't an exaggeration. Yeah. That was literally yeah, a school. But but so he said when he says if you if you divorce your wife, you cause her to commit adultery. If you're married, divorce woman, you commit adultery. What he's saying is that the connections that were made in divorce still exist no matter what happens later. Mm. Like those, he's using the language of the time to talk about how those bonds don't just break because of a legal change of status. And that that will continue to, I mean, that there will be pain, there'll be work that you have to deal with uh, in that whole situation. So he's just describing what's um, a, a, a heart reality for many people. Mm. But again, the whole point of this passage is not to single out one specific That's kind right. of That's brokenness right. in humanity. He's trying to show how, I mean, he's just spent a lot of time saying anybody that has lust has committed adultery. So like, he's already said, everybody is the worst. Yeah, yeah. He's just going through, he's saying, everybody's a murderer. Everybody's an adulterer, and everybody is, uh, you know, a, a, a person in need of God's grace. That's the point of the passage. I remember I was at a I was at a conference, and um, uh, a well-meaning Episcopal rector came up to me and was like, "Do you really think that's a that's a sin, though, Jake?" And I I looked at them and I was like, "Come on, you know, I think everything's a sin," and <laughs> you know, and that's exactly what Jesus is saying here, is that. Um, yeah. Uh, everything is a sin, um, and that's the theme running through all of these passages. Quit finding your identity in anything but Jesus, because um, yeah. uh, you are always choosing on your own death. And the good news, if everything is a sin, the good news is that, uh, don't end there, is that the yeah. the grace of God covers it all, and Jesus gives you his yeah. righteousness, and now you can live in freedom and hope yeah. and light. And no matter how great a sinner you are, remember Jesus is always a much greater Savior. Amen. That'll preach. Let's end it there. All right. Bye. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, it- 
Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you liked what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.